episode 13, chapter 13, Faded to be Fooled by a Fake. Jimmy, thanks for staying to watch the movie with me, Billie Jean said <clears throat> with a smile that seemed to show a deeper intent. But I really do want to watch the movie, Jimmy insisted with smiles. I bet you do, she said, as she settled down comfortably to watch the television screen. You know, that is a good movie. The ending is tragic for the lovers, but it has a deep meaning. Jimmy said, sounding relieved as he watched the final credits roll <clears throat> pass on the television screen. I'm glad I finally got a chance to watch Casablanca. What are your thoughts on the movie? Billie Jean didn't respond. Her eyelids were shut as if she was asleep. Jimmy smiled down upon her sleeping form and softly shook her shoulder. Hey, wake up. You fell asleep on the movie. Billie Jean scratched and yawned. Is it over? I must have fallen asleep. She sniffed the air and got up with the quickness. Oh my goodness, I hope the meat isn't burnt. The two young lovers were on the sofa, giggling and gaggling in each other's arms enjoying the pointlessness of what they were saying when they heard the crown Victoria roaring up the alley. That sounds like Willie James driving like a fool, Billie Jean said as she rose from Jimmy's embrace on the sofa. Willie James stopped in front of the house and blew the horn like he was in a hurry to go. Beep, beep, beep. Jimmy stood like a soldier when duty calls. They kissed quickly, and he told her he'd see her later. I hope that means you'll be here when I get back from work. I hope so, too, Jimmy said as he opened the screen door. Hey, don't. Come on, man. Let's ride, Willie James called through the open window. You won't believe this, Willie James said as Jimmy closed the door. Man, I ran out of gas. <laughs> Jimmy laughed and reminded him of what Uncle George had said about the carburetor being a gasoline-drinking machine. Willie James reached for an envelope on the dashboard as he drove off slowly. Here, check out this letter. I got it from my brother. He's up in Memphis. Jimmy opened the envelope and read, Say, Jack, Memphis is a gold man. I'm killing them dead, dealing second-class weed. Grass that isn't qualified to be in the presence of Gainesville Green. But still, I'm getting over like a fat rat in a cheese factory. Brother, <clears throat> I got the bull by the horn. I don't know what you got shaking there, but I got a whole lot of shaking here. Jack, now is the time, and Memphis is the place. If you want to make a grand in seven days, if you don't make a grand in seven days, I'll buy you a bus ticket back to Potter's Quarter. 
plus put something in your pocket for riding money. Give my regards to everybody and tell Mama I'll be up here until September. Hope to see y'all soon. Your brother, Jesse James. P.S. I've enclosed two bills. I hope you use them to buy a bus ticket to get up here. Jimmy put the envelope back. You dig what he said about Gainesville Green? Jimmy tried to recall the passage but could not. Not qualified to be in the presence of Gainesville Green, Willie James said. That doesn't ring a bell? Jimmy thought what bell it should ring. He knew of Gainesville Green, that Lee Hunt had a deal to move two pounds for Cheetah and Slick Boy with the money they had took from him at gunpoint. He shook his head. Now nah, it doesn't ring any special bell for me. Willie James grinned like a mad scientist. His eyes shine. He, 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 he. Tomorrow presents a golden opportunity. We can get our hands on two pounds of Gainesville green. Jimmy scratched his head. But how? Isn't Lee aunt getting that for Cheetah and Slick Boy? Willie James stopped grinning and glanced away from the traffic. The way I see it, Dr. Hawk, those two pounds are rightfully yours. It simply comes down to taking what's yours from them. Jimmy froze. He was speechless. His mouth dried dropped open as he stared at Willie James, who continued speaking with his eyes focused on the road in front of him. I got a plan, see? We take those two pounds to Memphis, see? But how are you going to make your plan work? The same way they did at the bus station with you. Jimmy was confused, and it showed on his face. Willie James glanced at him and said, that's what I'm talking about, then returned his eyes back to the road, and after a few minutes of silence, he cast a quick glance at Jimmy. Are you down with that? Jimmy shook his head no and stared at his feet. You know, it doesn't seem right. I know what they did to me was wrong. But I know taking them out of the game would be wrong, too. I don't see how two wrongs can make anything right. And besides, I wouldn't want it on my conscience. Willie James took a deep breath. Well, if that's the way you feel about it, it's cool with me. But I'm heading up to Memphis. Jimmy looked up from his feet. This was a shocking surprise. Memphis? When? Well, I figure I hit the road Saturday morning, and with the money I got from Jesse and what I get from Leon, I have more than enough money to make it to Memphis. Joy seeped from Jimmy like helium from a punctured balloon. He felt like he was being set free, only he did not want to be free. Freedom was scary. He wanted to scream, 
please don't set me free. But he held his peace. Neither of them said a mumbling word as Willie James continued to drive. Jimmy felt like a sightseer in a foreign land as Willie James drove through neighborhoods that didn't look as scary or dangerous as Porter's Quarters, although few of the streets were paved and there were no sidewalks. Though this area is called Spring Hill, Willie James said as he made a right turn at a corner. And this is Ninth Street. Ninth Street used to be the heart of it. Ninth Street led up a hill whose top Jimmy could not see in the distance. The Crown Victoria cruised past a tall building that looked like an abandoned warehouse. The ground around the building looked like a forest that grew right up to the walls and doors of the building. It looked like it had stood the test of time. And now it was on the borderline. Most of the exterior paint had peeled away, exposing bare gray weathered boards. Jimmy inquired what it was or had been. That was the Cotton Club. They said it used to be a hot rocking spot back in the 40s. B.B. Kane played there many times. The only place left from those days is the Black Cat. It's just a barbecue joint now. Jimmy noticed a plethora of trees on either side of the road as Jimmy drove, as, as Willie James drove towards the top of the hill. The trees, many with massive branches that hung over the road, made him think of a poem he had learned in elementary school that said fools could write poetry, but only God could make a tree. Willie James turned off 9th Street before they reached the top of the hill. The street was short and only allowed a right turn. That Spring Hill Baptist Church over there, Willie James said, then made another right turn by a vacant lot. The church was painted pure white and crowned with a steeple that pointed to the clouds. And across the street stood three houses whose front door faced the <laughs> doors of the church. Jimmy wondered what was living across from that church like on Sundays when all the members met for Sunday morning worship. I got a partner who lives right across from that church, Willie James said, as, and drove up <clears throat> next to a chain-link fence that surrounded the house and blew the horn. The house was a small, single, ranch-style home with a carport. It was built of cinder block and was painted a shade of pink. There were flowers around the yard and some shrubberies along the fence but not a tree in the yard. However, three massive oak trees grew on the property, property next door and had spread their branches and limbs towards the roof of the house and shaded a section of the ground where nothing grew. Willie James blew the horn again. Beep, beep, beep. 
I guess no one is home, he said. Well, I got another partner to check on, on Sugar Hill. Willie James gunned the engine and grinned. He spun the rear tires on the Crown Victoria and kicked up clouds of dust before he jetted away without slowing down for an upcoming turn at the end of the short street. Both tires tilted up in the air on the passenger side as Willie James took the turn. Jimmy held on to the door to keep from sliding across the seat. When the tires touched down, Willie James was grinning and Jimmy saw cars driving on the asphalt highway ahead. Willie James had to stop for the traffic. Across the highway, Jimmy saw a high school. That's Lincoln, Willie James said. I went there but never graduated. Willie James turned onto the highway. He called the highway the Williston Cutoff. The highway looked very, looked like a sophisticated trail cut through a terrain of wilderness. Jimmy watched the scenery as the Crown Victoria hurried along the Williston Cutoff. On one side stood a scattering of houses dotted here and there like places of residence about the landscape. But on the other side stood an endless stretch of woods. It looked as if the woods were the last frontier. But finally the woods ended and Jimmy saw a flashing yellow caution light ahead. It signaled an intersection marked with crosswalks. Willie James stopped and made a left turn. A convenience store stood at the corner it looked like it was in the middle of nowhere. This is Sugar Hill, Willie James said as he drove past the store and turned once more, but into a gated entry, but into the gated entry of a housing development that looked hidden from the world. These are low rent apartments, he continued. You know, for people on welfare in Section 8, they call these the graveyard apartments. Jimmy scanned the surrounding for an answer as to the reason for that name. He did not see the hopeless desolation that surrounded the high-rise housing projects he saw in Chicago. The most striking comparisons were the cleanliness and the absence of graffiti. Why are they called that? They don't appear that dangerous to me. Willie James laughed. <laughs> oh, it has nothing to do with danger. It is because they are built next to a graveyard. Jimmy looked at the apartments. They were one-story duplexes. They were built of red brick. They all looked the same except for the number tacked to the doors and the personal touches of each resident. Each unit had a front lawn that looked manicured by a maintenance crew, and each had a <coughs> concrete parking pad that could accommodate four automobiles. The streets were paved with, with sidewalks on either side. Jimmy saw some children toys on one of the lawns. He saw a few people who looked like they were returning from the convenience store. Willie James finally turned off the street and onto one of the parking pads. 
He parked next to a car whose hood was up. He blew the horn. Beep, beep, beep. A head appeared from the a doorway, and very soon a youth emerged from the apartment with a broad smile. What's up, Verb? called Willie James as he got out of the car. When Verb reached the car, he and Willie James bumped their fists together. Nothing much, Verb smiled. I see you got the fold back on the road. Yeah, I'm rolling again, <laughs> grinned Willie James. And then, hey, want you to meet my new partner, Dr. Hawk. Hey, Doc, this is Verb. Verb bent and peered into the car. He smiled and said hi, then turned back to Willie James. So you drive just out cruising? Yeah, you want to ride with us? That sounds good, said Verb. But I'm waiting on a mechanic. He says he can get me rolling today. Well, maybe another time, Willie James said. There was a vacant moment in the conversation as if nothing, as if there were nothing further which to say that was suddenly broken by Bird. Say, check this out. He smiled like he had something to say on the down low. You hear about cheating slick, boy? They got lucky and hit a real good lick. Yeah, I heard, Willie James said. They threw down on Dr. Hawk. Verb's eyes grew large. He bent and peered into the car at Jimmy again. Man, I thought they were running game. At the bus station, right? Jimmy nodded his head in disgust. They were at the tipping end, bragging about it, said Verb. Slick boy said he threw down with a starter pistol he had stolen from a P.E. class. They were bragging big time. Cheetah said they had cut a deal for two pounds of Gainesville Green. A car turned on to the parking pad. That's a mechanic coming to fix my ride. I got to cut y'all loose. See ya. Okay, Verb, later. Jimmy stared at the floorboard, shaking his head and wiping his eyes like he tried to stop his tears. A fake gun, Jimmy exclaimed, unable to stop his tears. Well, how about that? They robbed me with a starter pistol. I was fooled by a effing fake gun. Come on, man. Willie James said. You didn't know if it was real or not. Jimmy lifted his head and gazed through the windshield at the scenery, but he saw none of it, clearly. He saw what he imagined he would have done only if he had known the gun was a fake. He would have fought. He would have screamed. And even if the outcome had been the same, he would have felt better than he felt now. After a long bout of silent self-condemnation and contemplation, Jimmy turned his eyes towards Willie James. Jimmy's eyes looked cold, like they had no sympathy for Cheetah or Slick Boy. How do we do it? Do what? Willie James asked with a quick glance. How do we take them out of the game?
Willie James smiled like a Mona Lisa with an evil intent as he glanced at Jimmy again. I'll show you. Just as soon as we get back to Potter's Quarters. And with that, <laughs> we've reached the end of our episode. I ask you again to please join us again next week at the same time <laughs> for another episode of Escaping the Entanglements of Our Lives. So long, everybody, all around the world.